Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid, such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi everybody and welcome home. For the past few years, we've always started our programs with this statement and we mean it because community is a place that we all should call home a place that gives us peace, a place that gives us tranquility, and a place that we know is going to be there. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes faith in the Qur'an, He mentions stability as being a requirement for faith to grow. Asluha thabit wa far'uha fissama' That its roots are firm and its branches grow to the sky. If we don't have stability, if we don't have permanence, if we don't know that something is going to be there for us, then our faith won't be able to grow. This is why when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and made the migration, the Hijrah with his companions, at that moment, when they arrived at their new permanent home, he said the beautiful phrase, Afshus Salam, spread peace. Why? Because peace can be attained now that we have a place that we can call home. For the past five years, Roots has been able to be a part of so many people's lives, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah. And we're so honored to have that be a part of our legacy. But we've been doing it in temporary spaces. We've been doing it in hotel banquet halls, in masjid side rooms, in people's living rooms at home, and in temporary lease spaces where when we were signing the lease, we knew that this was not going to be there forever. But that can change. By the favor of Allah, with our foundational organization, Qalam, we've been able to find this beautiful property here in Carrollton, Texas, that will be the permanent location and facility for the Roots community space. A place where everybody can feel that tranquility and have that growth of faith that Allah Ta'ala tells us about. We need your help to close on this property. We need you to generously donate and contribute whatever you can, adding your name to this list of people that will help build and construct a permanent home for us to build the model community following the example of the Prophet Muhammad in Medina. Help us make this dream a reality. Visit rootsdfw.org slash home. Uh, welcome home, everybody. Just one quick request before we get started, inshallah. Um, if we can just create like a walkway so that people who are coming in, because this side usually gets packed up, but there's a lot of space over here. So about, you know, the sister is there. Basically between the wall and the next row. Yeah, just create like a visible pathway. That way people can uh, come across, inshallah. Okay. 
Jazakum Akhira. Alrighty. Bismillah. Um, so we have tonight's itinerary is a little bit different. We didn't serve any food, obviously, because of the, the, the day of Ashura. Um, if you're not fasting, it's okay. It's still a blessed day. The entire month of Muharram is a blessed month. The day of Ashura, first and foremost, is uh, a day that um, you know commends the salvation of Bani Israel and Prophet Musa, the children of Israel and Prophet Musa, from the uh, the tyranny of Fir'aun. Um, this was the day on which Allah Subhanahu wa Taala saved them from that uh, from that tyranny they were experiencing, and so. The Prophet Muhammad taught us that this is a day in which the, the, the children of Israel would fast. And the Prophet when he saw this in Medina, he said that, you know, Prophet Musa is our prophet. Like we have, we have a connection to him as well. It's not just specific to some community. So he said that we should also fast on this day. Um, and then obviously there, the other uh, historical attachment to this day of Ashura, the 10th of Muharram, uh, about 60 years after the uh, the hijrah of the Prophet Sallallahu was uh, the brutal uh, killing of his grandson Al Hussein uh, uh, in Karbala, and so there's there's kind of an interesting mixture of emotions about this day. But it's important to note that first and foremost, there's the important aspect of the Prophet Sallallahu prescribing it as a day of fasting, and then there's also, you know, just a few decades later. Uh, the tragedy that should really impact the hearts of everybody. So we'll we'll finish up with a couple lessons, inshallah. Uh, but I wanted to get started. So that's why we're not serving food now. We have food. We have dinner uh, for everybody after Maghrib, inshallah. Uh, we have some pasta and some salad and some uh, Hawaiian rolls. Not just any rolls. Hawaiian rolls. Fresh from Hawaii. Uh, so at least that's what they said. Um, so we're going to be serving dinner after Maghrib, inshallah. Okay, let's get started. So we are uh, just about midway through the second passage in the four passages of Surah Al-Kahf. Um, this passage is about two individuals, and the tafsir even tells us that these two people are related, that they're either you know, relatives, like brothers, or that they're very close, like really close friends, like basically brothers. And the story that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents us with, or the narrative that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents us with, is that there are two of them, and one of the, the, even though the two of them are very close in their uh, you know, relationship, in terms of like their biology maybe, or even in their friendship, they couldn't be more different in their, how they approach the world. So there's two individuals that come from the same family, but they are on diametric opposites of the spectrum of how they think of this dunya. And in that, there's lesson number one, which we talked about a little bit last time. I'm going to do a little recap, which is that you have these two individuals. And even though they have been given the same opportunity, the same resource, and in the tafsir, it says the same wealth, even, that these two people, they make different choices. And so you might very well even know or be a part of or have seen that even though there might be one person and they grow up in the bedroom over to the next person. Or there could be like a husband and a wife or a father and a son. Just because people are close in proximity or close in biology or however close they might be, doesn't mean that they're going to be the same, right? And the, the Quran is actually filled with lessons and stories uh, of parents and their children being very different. I mean, look at Prophet Ibrahim, Prophet Ibrahim, like look at his story with his father. Look at Prophet Yusuf and the story with his brothers. Look at 
Prophet Nuh السلام, and the story with his son. Uh, look at Asiya. Uh, may Allah be pleased with her and her husband who was Fir'aun. I mean, she's literally one of the, the four archetypal women of paradise. And she was married to one of the worst individuals ever to exist on the face of the earth. Okay, so proximity in terms of geography, like closeness or in terms of relationship, it doesn't determine who you are for better or for worse. Like I can't bank on the fact everyone here has like a religious grandma, right? You know, you, everyone here has a grandma that prays a lot. And sometimes like we, we fall into this, uh, uh, the sleepy sort of uh, uh, misnomer that, well, I'm, I have this person who's praying for me. I remember growing up in Chicago, you know, there was a, a huge culture of enrolling your kid into schools to memorize the Quran, which is an amazing thing. But sometimes the intention for that was a little bit questionable, was dubious, right? Obviously, there's a lot of benefit in memorizing the Quran, a lot of incredible barakah and blessings. But one of them was that, oh, well, the person who memorizes the Quran, there is a narration attributed that says that they get to choose 10 people to take with them to Jannah, like paradise, okay? And so the parents were like, duh, like one, two, like, here we go. You know, so you're going to go memorize the Quran and inshallah, you know, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate, you know, pick your next eight, right? It's like picking squats for basketball. Again, like the idea, sure, it's, it's, it's beautiful in a sense, but the idea that, you know what, I can just go ahead and I can, you know, uh, relax my own spiritual focus and I can bank on my parents or my children or my spouse and they're going to carry the weight. They're going to carry the weight. That's that's a it's a really, really dangerous path to walk on because almost always it does not come true. Almost always it fails. That idea does not bring about what you think it's going to bring. So these two individuals, very close in many ways, but not close at all in how their hearts respond. So the tafsir says that they were both given some inheritance and they both decided to spend their inheritance in different ways. How did the first brother, the one who had the gardens, how did he spend his money? You guys remember from last week? What did he do? He got money. How did he spend it? The one who owned the gardens, the nice gardens. He what? Yeah, he just kept investing it in what? In what? Crypto, yeah, maybe. I don't know. No, no, no. The garden did well. That's different than crypto. Okay, sorry. So what was the, uh, what did he invest it in? Like everything else besides like good deeds. So he did property, land, uh, you know, his house, servants. He, he just took his money and he basically invested it in worldly things. Okay. And then every time his brother saw him do that, his brother said to himself, well, I don't want to, I don't want to do the same. I don't want to buy a house here. I want to buy a house in Jannah. Like, I don't want to buy property here. I want to buy property in Jannah. Like, I don't want to have servants here, right? I'm already 30 years old. If I'm lucky, I have 40, 50 more years. Who knows? Allah can take us at any time. Like, no, no, I want all of this in the world that never ends. I want all this in the place that has no ending. So instead of spending money here, the brother would see this and he would say, I'm going to give it in sadaqah. I'm going to give it in charity. And at the end of this, what ended up happening was this brother who gave it all in sadaqah there came a point in time in his life where he needed a little bit of help, right? Maybe he was short on rent or he needed some sort of food or something. So he approached his uh, brother, the one who had the really, really lush garden. And Allah Ta'ala, he describes the garden, ayah number 33. He says that the garden yielded all kinds of fruits, all kinds of harvests, everything that you could imagine. 
was there. And he says, Allah Ta'ala says very pointedly, that we are the ones that caused the nahar, the river, to come between the two gardens, to irrigate, to take care of the moisture there. So the man comes to his brother and he says to him, hey, you have this beautiful garden, this lush property, you have all the, the, the wealth that you could imagine. Do you mind helping me out? And so the wealthy brother looks at his brother who was in need and he said to him, no. He said, absolutely not. And he said, because look at you, you and I both had the same amount and I did the, I did the right thing. I invested and look at all of the things that I, I created. Look at everything that I made out of nothing, right? Self-made millionaire. And look at what you are. Look at what you did. You lost everything. And so he even has the audacity to tell him that if I give you money, you know what you're going to do with it? You're probably going to go give that away in charity too, right? And so we sit here and we very, hopefully, clearly can identify the rhetoric that is incredibly incorrect, right? The rhetoric of the brother who is with, you know, not giving his brother help, not assisting his brother. But we ended last week thinking about how much of that brother, the wealthy guy, lives inside of us. How much of our prosperity do we take credit for? Do we take credit for? Right? Whether it could be like the degree that you got, the accreditation, the situation you find yourself in, the networking that you worked hard to do, all of these things can, can intoxicate a person and can delude their sense of perception and could allow them to think that, you know what, I'm the reason why I'm successful. I'm the reason why I have all of this. Okay. And it's interesting because even though that perception feels very gratifying to the nafs, right, the nafs kind of likes that. It likes to be pumped up. You know, everyone needs a hype man, right? I see it on the Instagram comments, fire emojis, right? Yes. 100s, all of this. Everyone likes to be pumped up, right? But the nafs never ever has shame, like never says no. The nafs wants to be pumped up constantly, okay? So this guy, he thinks that he's the reason for all of this to happen. And what are some of the symptoms of this disease now? This egotistical arrogance that he's developed. What are some of the symptoms? Well, number one is, is he is unable to see that he is not the creator of blessings. He's the beneficiary of blessings. He's not the benefactor. He's the beneficiary. How do we know that from the Quran? Well, if you look at the pronouns, right, the, the grammar of this, Allah says, We are the ones who created the river to split through the land. We are the ones, not him. So even when Allah is describing this beautiful garden, Allah makes it clear that the responsibility does not fall on the uh, the credit does not go to the guy. The credit goes back to Allah. But the man is blind to this. The man doesn't understand that. And so he's so pushed away from all of these, you know, recognizing these blessings that he starts to think that I'm the reason that this happened. So ask yourself this question. It's a very hard question, right? When you achieve high levels of success, when you have an opportunity that Allah gives you and you're able to, to, to achieve or to maximize on that, what's your first thought? What's the thing that happens right away? Is it, I'm so happy that I studied. I'm so happy that I practiced my interviewing. I'm so happy that I did all this. I'm so happy, you know, you look, anything that you want to achieve, you want to get a new job, you want to get in shape, you want to save up to buy a house, whatever it might be. What's the first thought as you're signing that document, your new contract, 
the closing documents, the financing, whatever it is, is your first thought, look at me now. Look at me now. Or is your first thought, Alhamdulillah. Are you just steeped in this idea that I don't deserve this? In fact, if if I were to go through all of the different reasons as to why I should not have this, why this shouldn't be mine, that I would be able to come up with a pretty good argument. But despite all of that, despite all the reasons, all the fajr that I've missed, all the zakat that I was late in paying or didn't pay, all the sins that I did, all the things that my eyes looked at, all the words that my tongue uttered, all of the feelings that my heart harbored that were against my faith, every single, all of that, despite all of that, what? Allah is still so kind. You know, I, I tell this story like every month, but really it's powerful. When we don't do the, the agreement that we have with Allah, Right when we don't fulfill our end of the contract, look when you don't fulfill your end of the contract, what happens at work? You get a couple warnings and then you're gone. If you don't do your job, if you just don't show up to work, right, or you don't buy one of those manual mouse mover things so that it looks like you're working, right? I just saw a lot of people look at their friends. How do you know? Right? I also have TikTok. Okay, so if you don't do your part of the agreement, the contract is null and void. And there's no like coming back. You can't just like go on vacation for a week. Your boss is calling you. They're like, hey, hey, where are you? Where are you? you just don't pick up. And then you show up next week. You're like, I know that was weird. I know that was messed up. But can I just, you know, stuck for a while. Can I come back? They're going to be like, stuck for who? Like, what are you asking for? <laughs> In this life, like you don't get second chances. In this, amongst each other, like we don't get second chances. It's so interesting because when we know that, we behave well. Like when we think that way, but then subhanAllah, Allah gives us not two, not three, not four, not five. He gives us billions, unlimited chances as long as we come back. And the one who gives us chances is the one that we take for granted. It's, it's, a, it's a painful irony. The one who doesn't give us chances is the one that we, you know, subhanAllah, I remember I used to work customer service at the Apple store. And one of my managers was so, he was so interesting. He said, for people who complain, who walk up to the, to the genius bar and they scream and they make a big like commotion, he said, never give them anything. Like there's ways, by the way, in every retail outlet, there's ways to get what you want. But this manager was so interesting. He said, we're not going to reward bad behavior. He said, if a person comes up and they have something and they're out of warranty, whatever. If you feel, and you can call a manager and get them to write off a replacement or whatever it might be. He said, if they are behaving like good, like human beings, if they're treating you like with civil like behavior, he said, I don't care if you have to give them a brand new laptop, you give it to them. And this happened, right? What was this manager doing? He was training us to not take for granted those people who did the right thing. We, we look at those people who are doing the right thing and we think that, you know what, whatever, they'll always be there. That's how we think of Allah. He'll always be there. No matter how many times I miss my prayers, no matter how many times I make mistakes, no matter how many bad choices I make, he'll always be there, right? And it's true, but the reality is our desire for him may not always be there. 
he will always be there. But we may have gone so far out, like the shore, right? The shore of the ocean will always be there, but sometimes you drift too far that you can't go back. You're lost. You know, may Allah protect us. Um, so Allah Ta'ala here is saying that this entire garden was given to him, but he didn't understand that. So number one, what happens when a person has this egotistical, arrogant spell? Number one is that they are unable to see how much Allah is operating in their life, meaning like at every micro moment, right? Like that breath you just took, that was Allah, okay? And if you want to know how much of it was Allah, just get a sinus infection. Just get a cold. My wife was just telling me that one of her friends who had COVID recently, and she recovered, alhamdulillah, was fine, healthy. And then over the weekend, her oxygen dropped from like 98%, which is, I guess, normal, to like 90 which is, I know it sounds good. Everyone's like, that's pretty good. It's A minus. No, that's when it comes to oxygen, you don't want an A minus. Okay. So her oxygen spiral dropped to 90. They had to rush to the ER like right away, like immediately. She couldn't breathe. Okay. And again, like it's just, it's something that we take for granted. Like we breathe in, breathe out. Right. Like Connie said, subhanAllah. So, and Jahiriya just sticks sometimes. You just can't, no matter how much. Yes, sponge. Okay. Okay, next verse. So then Allah Ta'ala says that وَكَانَ لَهُ ثَمَرٌ فَقَالَ لِصَاحِبِهِ وَهُوَ يُحَاوِرُهُ أَنَا أَكْثَرُ مِنْكَ مَالًا That he told his friend, right, this is that conversation. You made mistakes, I didn't. I have more money than you. Look at my garden, look at this prosperity, look at this amazing uh, uh, thing that I have that belongs to me. Okay. And, and, and I am the reason for this, and you are the reason that you are poor. So the second symptom of this arrogance is that you start to look at other people and you start to assign or associate your wealth as having some sort of benefit or some sort of, like you have some sort of uh, um, grade above others simply because of this wealth. And so he is starting now to attribute that. And he's saying that I am greater than you now because of this. You're poor, I'm rich, which means... I'm better than you, okay? The next symptom is that you start to enter into the world of delusion. So the next ayah, 35. Allah Ta'ala says that, and this person one day walked into his garden and he was oppressive of himself, right? And zalim, by the way, zulm also shares the same root word as darkness, meaning like the, the absence of visibility, the absence of light. If we turned off all the lights in this room, we wouldn't be able to see all the details. So this person, when they oppress themselves, they're literally covering themselves and they're not able to see the world. They're in darkness. Like It's like walking in a dark room. You can't see everything. So this man, and even though his eyes are open, he can't see. He can't see the same thing that you and I see, right? The believer and the one who denies God, they look at the same food and one of them sees provision and one of them sees something else, right? So this person is oppressing himself and he says, He says, you know what? This is so great and this is so persistent in my life and I am so successful and this is so amazing. I don't think this is ever going to go away. I don't think this is ever going to perish. So symptom number three is you start to have these like very irrational beliefs about all the things that you have. And there's another text in which 
the author writes and says, one of the reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you injuries and gives you sickness and gives you difficulty in life is to show you that nothing will last forever. Just to demonstrate that temporarily. Because if you leave this for too long and you start to wander off into the land of like, this is going to be forever. The author says, you are so at risk for disbelief that the better result or solution is that you get tested. Like it's either you leave Islam altogether, you ignore and deny God altogether. That's the end result of something like this. Or you get sick. You miss a flight. You get laid off. You tear your ACL, right? Something happens. And as a result of that, you're like in a humbled state, in a weakened state, okay? And when you're in that weakened state, you can't help but ask for help. Only like a foolish person would sit there and say, I don't need help, right? You can't help. It's like when I'm carrying groceries and someone, do you need the door? Do you need help with the door? I'm like, no, I got it. I don't got it. I don't. But there's something inside of every ego that doesn't want to ask for help. So sometimes Allah forces you to ask for help. He pushes you down to the ground so that you have to look and say, Ya Allah, help me. Okay? This is, you know, subhanAllah, so remarkable. Think of the tests that you go through and never see them as things that are pushing you away from Allah, but rather things that are shaking you, shaking that rust off of your heart, getting you to realize what the reality of your existence is. Okay? So he says, I don't think this is going to perish ever. I think this is going to last forever. And it's funny because even in like our own contemporary history, whenever anyone says this, it gets disproven like almost immediately, right? Like the, the famous Titanic, you know, they used to say nothing, this ship will never sink. And wasn't it like its first trip? SubhanAllah, man, I hate to be that guy, but like, come on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you challenge the reality of Allah, like, reality is going to, it's going to, one of the authors wrote a beautiful, beautiful poem, and he talked about food. How many of you guys love food? You guys fasting today? Everyone's like, yes. How many of you guys love food? I want you to think of, like, the most amazing food you've ever had, okay? And now think of flavors. Imagine that bite, Okay. I'm, I'm torturing you. We have exactly 30 minutes till Muslim. I'm torturing you. Think of the textures, all right? So maybe it's like barbecue or grilled. Maybe it's dessert. Maybe it's like fresh naan out of the tandoor. Maybe it's like, who knows, right? Maybe it's shawarma just like sliced down and they're dipping the sandwich in the juice, right? Okay. People are, people are weeping. Okay. You guys know the flavor I'm talking about? Okay, the, the, those flavors. Now, now listen, the author wrote this. The author wrote, I forget the exact like passage, but on Tezkiah, he said that the heart that is sick, okay, the heart that is sick, he said that the tongue that is sick can't enjoy the flavors that they want, right? The tongue that is sick, meaning what? When you get a cold, when your nose is congested, you can't taste all those, you know, it's really frustrating. You'll be biting into like a Pakistani mango. And you're like, what is this? Where is this from? And they're like, that's Pakistani mango. That was $8. That bite was $8. And you're like, I can't taste it because my nose. And the scholar says, when you're sick, you can't enjoy the flavors on your tongue. He says, when your heart is sick, you can't enjoy the worship of Allah. 
You're doing the same actions. Like we're standing and praying. The person next to you is like all in on that maghrib. Like that maghrib is like there is like it. That's what they needed. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, what rock are we even in? We're having the same dish. We're doing the same action. But one of us is healthy. We can taste it. And one of us is not healthy. This man walks into his garden. And instead of saying, Alhamdulillah. Oh Allah, you didn't create this for no reason. Oh Allah, you're so generous. You're so kind. Oh Allah, I don't deserve this. Instead of that man saying this, what does he say? This is all me. It's never going to disappear. The world is the same for everybody, but the hearts that interpret that world are very different. And Allah gives us case studies so we can see which side do we fall on? Which, which statements when we read them while we appear to be shocked on the outside, internally we panic. Because we say, wow, this might be me. This might be me. And what's interesting, subhanAllah, is that the further away we go from submitting to Allah, the more difficult calamity is for us. Like when, little spoiler, the garden is definitely not going to last forever. Okay? In a couple ayah, we're going to find out what happens. When tragedy hits... The one who submitted to Allah that entire time, the one who said, you know what? This has nothing to do with me, meaning like I'm just a beneficiary. I do my job. I tie my camel. I water the grass. I do this and that. Alhamdulillah. That person, when the blessing is paused or removed, it stings but doesn't hit them nearly as hard. But the one who thinks that they themselves are the reason for everything good they have, when they get tested, it's a weight that they can't carry. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. It's a burden that they can't carry. So he walks in and says this. And then the next thing he says, I don't believe that that hour that you talk about, I don't think it's actually ever going to come. I mean, why? This person's already in Jannah, right? By the way, some scholars even wrote about the fact that the word Jannah means garden. So when you hear the word Jannah when I'm reading it, it means obviously Jannah like heaven, but then also it means Jannah like garden, it, it, linguistically. So why did Allah use the example of a man who owns a garden? Because he wanted his Jannah here, not there. And because he wanted it here, he got it here. But the problem with getting your Jannah here is temporary. So some people want all of the afterlife blessings here. And Allah will give that. Like if that's what you want, Allah will give that. Some people say, you know, Allah, look at his brother. What did he say? I don't want it here. I want it there. I don't want his Jannah. I want your Jannah. I don't want some garden here. I want the garden there, the garden, Al-Jannah. So he says, I don't think the Day of Judgment will ever come. Okay? That, and if my Lord does return me back to him, that I will definitely get even better than what he's given me here. One tafsir was very scary. He said, this person, he said, Rabbi, my Lord. So he's a what? He's a He has some sense of belief in God. This person's not like an abject atheist, right? This person's not like on Reddit all day. This person actually believes in God. And so it's scary. Why? For us, we're not immune to this. We're not immune. Like between Fajr and Dhuhr, we could definitely have these types of thoughts, right? 
but coming to roots and going back home, like we can definitely have these types of thoughts. So the believer never sees themselves as for some reason fundamentally immune from the disease of the heart. In fact, the believer is kind of always on the lookout, right? Now, we don't let it paralyze us and we don't say, okay, I'm not going to leave my house. I'll tell you a funny story, actually. There was a man who was so afraid of showing off. You guys know what riya is? Showing off. Riya is when you do a deed that's supposed to be for Allah, but you do it for other people. So if someone gives sadaqah, and instead of giving sadaqah for Allah, they want everyone to say what? Wow, mashallah, yeah, that's good. Right? They want everyone to say, look at how generous that guy is. Okay, you're supposed to read Quran for Allah. But for some people, they read Quran, they want, what a beautiful voice, right? I'm going to follow this guy on Instagram. What an incredible recitation. Some people, they pray very long. For Allah, you're supposed to do that. But they want people to say, look at that person pray. Look at how pious they are. They always have a book with them, right? So riyah is when I do good deeds for other people. All right. Now, what's the what's like the extreme opposite of that? We don't want to do that. OK, because that's a very, very serious problem. So there was a man one time who he said, you know what? I'm so afraid of doing good, but doing it for the wrong intentions that I'm never going to do good in public. And so he said, I'm not going to go pray at the masjid. He's like, Jum'ah for me. Like, I'm sorry. Send my regards. I'm never going to pray in public. He stopped because he was so petrified of this disease that he's like, I'm not going to do this anymore. He asked a scholar of his time, what do you think of my solution to this problem of Riyadh? He said, instead of going out and praying, I pray everything at home. Instead of giving sadaqah, I, I, I keep it and I don't give it. I try my best, but I don't do anything good in public. The scholar said, what you're doing is actually showing off. What you're doing is showing off. You are so concerned about people looking at you that you have let that dictate now your entire life. You're concerned on one end, but that concern has bled over to the other end. The solution to not showing off is stop worrying about what people think about you altogether. Don't worry if they praise you or criticize you. Do it for the sake of Allah and don't worry about what people say. Because guess what? You're never going to have 100% of people agreeing with you. And you're never going to have 100% of people that go after you. There's always going to be people from both sides. Okay? So... He says to this, and he believes in Allah, he has this issue, but it's a serious disease that's, that's crippling spiritually. And he says that, if I am returned to my Lord, if I am, then I realize that I will have a far better outcome than this. Now, he's saying this to his friend. What would you guys say in this scenario? Have you guys ever been given really bitter advice before? Raise your hand if someone's given you really bitter advice. Now keep your hand up. Raise your hand. Seriously. No one? All right. Keep your hand up if their advice was right. No? Okay. Right? We have to process through that. <laughs> you know, subhanAllah, Imam al-Ghazali said something really powerful. Imam al-Ghazali said, even the person who struggles with alcohol can tell you not to drink. Even the one who struggles, they're addicted to alcohol, they still can tell you not to drink. What's the first thing we say to somebody? when they give us advice, but we don't see that they're necessarily following it. Look at you. Who are you to tell me? Right? Who are you to tell me? Hey, man, you know what? You should really you know, get, get in shape. Join the Dallas Muslim Running Club. And I'm like, you're part of the Dallas Muslim Sleeping Club, brother. Like, <laughs> Saturday morning, 
Who are you to tell me? No, you know what? Regardless, whether that person is sleeping, running, walking, brunching, whatever they're doing, that advice might be good advice, right? Right? Yes or no? Getting in shape, getting healthy, regardless if that person is not. Okay? Now, there's a different disease of being a person that never does anything right and always tells people to do the right thing. That's, a, that's for them to be worried about. Okay? Now, this is an interesting point because we have to get over the bitterness of good advice. We have to get over it. Imam al-Ghazali wrote in the book, Ayyuhal Walad, he said that, Al-Nasihatu Sahla. said, advice is easy. Everyone can give advice. Everyone can hear advice. Right? Someone can tell you like, hey, do this. And you're like, you know what? Thanks. High five. And you just walk away. Nasihat is easy. But he said what? He said that the difficulty, the bitterness, is in accepting it, is in acting upon it. So this guy, his friend now, who he thinks he's better than, the one who's in, in need, the one who's not doing very well financially, he's going to offer some advice. Ayah number 37. He says to his friend, so his friend now ch chimes in. He's been listening this whole time, right? Now he says, did you seriously just say what you just said? Did you just disbelieve in the one that created you? How did he, did he ever say that I don't believe in Allah, by the way? Did he ever say that? I don't believe in Allah. What did he say that's causing his friend to say, man, what you said was really dangerous. And this is a big lesson here for us, by the way. What did he say? What one thing do you think he brought up? Yes. The day of judgment. Okay, good. What else? In the back there, you had a little one. Yeah. Very good. Both of you are right together, actually. Because he says, I don't think the day of judgment is going to happen. And then our youngest student here, mashallah, said what? The fact that in his language, you can hear that he doesn't believe that Allah created everything. He thinks he's the originator of this stuff. Okay? What is the lesson here? The lesson here is that disbelief in Allah is not always the most obvious thing. It's not always super obvious. Shaitan doesn't just show up to your face and say, hey, worship something else. Right? Shaitan's not like, hey, bow down to an, an idol. No. There are steps to this man's game. Shaitan has a method. He has a process. There's a very famous story about a person named Barsisa. I don't want to tell the whole story because it's very long. But this man, basically Barsisa, is found in the books of Hadith. He's from the, the pious people from Bani Israel. Very pious person, okay? Now, what did Barsisa do? Barsisa had a neighbor, and the neighbor were a few brothers and their sister. So these, this, they had neighboring homes. A few brothers, and they lived with their sister. The few brothers went out on an expedition, and as they left, they kind of, you know, announced that we were leaving, and we're leaving our sister at home. All right? Now, Barsisa was a very pious person. And initially, when he saw that this woman was at home, he said to himself, like, it's not my business, man. Just don't, don't, don't engage. Just leave her. She's fine. She can take care of herself. It is what it is. But then over time, he started having these inclinations and thoughts about, well, maybe she's, maybe she needs some food. Let me go drop off some food. There was no DoorDash, right? So let me go drop it off. I'll be the DoorDash. So he went and dropped off some food. 
And then eventually he grew to like, well, who likes to eat alone? You know, like, let's keep each other company, right? So he said, I'm going to go and I'll eat with her and talk to her. And then eventually he's like, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, not nice to sit and eat outside. We should just go inside her house and sit and eat. And you guys see where this is going, right? So eventually all the steps took until when? Until they committed zina. And out of that came a child. Now he was so, he couldn't even like understand what happened. He was so overtake, overtook by his, his own guilt and his aggression and oppression of this person and this situation that he actually ended up taking the life of this woman and the child and burying them because he was so concerned about his what? Reputation. How are people going to see me? So eventually the brothers come back. They're told that your sister died tragically from an illness and this and that or whatever. But then the brothers all start to have this dream. And the dream takes them to the burial place of their sister and the child. And they go there and they discover that, in fact, it is their sister. So they go and they know that this man lied. They try him in court. He admits that he's guilty. The punishment is execution. Now, this is a pretty horrific story, right? As it is, yes? He's standing there. He's sitting there on his knees, about to be executed. And he's probably thinking, like, what have I done to myself? What have I done? So, subhanAllah, a figure appears. And a figure, this person, out of nowhere, as he's waiting for the, you know, the, the, the command. And the figure says, my name is Iblis. I'm the one who got you into this. But I can get you out of it. Do you want me to get you out of it? So he's like, yes, of course. Anything. I'll do anything. Iblis says, okay, do one thing and I'll save you from this. And Barsisa says, absolutely. Iblis says, bow to me. He bows, and that's when the command to take his life is given. See, up until that point, he was a horrific sinner that did something really wrong, but he still had Iman. And then at the end of that journey, Shaitan got what he wanted. Shaitan wanted him eventually to leave Allah. But how did he start? He started by saying, just bring some food over to her house. Shaitan is not a rookie. He's not a novice. He knows how to operate. So this guy, at the end, denies Allah. What a big claim. But it started by saying what? Look at how wealthy I am. Look at my garden. Look at my situation. Because arrogance is an intoxicant. And when a person is drunk, they say things that don't make sense. But this drunkenness is not like alcohol. Alcohol eventually wears off. Arrogance does not wear off. It deteriorates the person's heart. Their iman crumbles and falls apart. Right? So then the, the friend says, almost shockingly, to his brother, are you, you seriously just uttered that? Imagine hearing someone that you grew up with saying these things and saying, you know, I don't know if Allah actually exists. That's his reaction. Are you serious? He says, you're disbelieving in the one who created you. Min turabin, thumma min nutfatin. You were created from dirt and then from eventually fluid and then you were fashioned into this. Like you were given all these capacities by who? You made yourself? You conceived yourself in the womb of your mother? See, Allah always goes back to the beginning. Whenever any of us have that, that like problematic thought, Allah says, okay, you're allowed to have that. Let's just go back to the, let's go back to the start. You, you had something to do with that, Right? I always love when people 
meet like new children, like babies, right? And they'll say things that the parents had nothing to do with. Like, mashallah, he's so tall. You guys, you know, mashallah. And like, you do realize how genetics works, right? Like, they had nothing to do with that. People, people compliment my height as if it's like an accomplishment. Wow. Good for you, man. Good for you. I'm like, good for who, man? You know what I mean? And on an airplane, I'm jealous of all the short people's panelists. I'm sitting there with my knees in the next row. And then and you got my wife who's 5'2", sitting like all comfy. Like she's in every, every seat is business class for someone like her, mashallah, right? So this man is asking this person, like, you really think that you had something to do with that? No, no, no. You got to wake up. You have to live your life constantly in the reality of fact, which is what? You are here. As a result of the culmination of so many things that you had no, no control over. And somehow you're here. And that's why the, the, the person who doesn't believe in God says, wow. The person who believes in Allah says, alhamdulillah. <laughs> alhamdulillah. Okay? And then he says, He says, as far as me, he goes, Allah will always be my Lord, and I will never, ever associate anything with him, ever. The tafsir of this is amazing. You know, sometimes we think to ourselves that wealth would solve our problems. You guys agree? You guys ever had that thought before? Wealth would solve our problems. Like, if I had money, I wouldn't have any issues. And there is some truth to that, because the Prophet ﷺ did say that poverty, like really, really tough poverty, can cause a person to struggle with their faith. And that's why Islam has what? Two and a half percent every year. What do we have? Zakat. You got to take care of people. Because if a person can't pay the rent and eat dinner, they might not have the wherewithal to think about believing in Allah. It's just a, it's a human reality. So Islam tells us, everybody here, Muslims, that if you make above a certain amount, you have to give it away. You have to take care of each other. So Islam doesn't just say, you know what? Don't worry about wealth. Money's not important. No, right? It's always the millionaires who are saying that, right? Money really doesn't make you happy. <laughs> Jeff Bezos telling everybody money doesn't make you happy, right? Islam is not saying that. Islam is saying, look, there's a certain requirement that everybody has. Everyone needs to be able to eat. Everyone needs to be able to sleep. Everyone needs to be able to have clothes, education. These are things that Islam tells us we have to maintain as a society, as a Muslim community. But, but... There is a danger to living for acquiring more. And this man says this statement. He says, you might see yourself as better off than me. But he said, at the end of this day, even though I'm the one asking you for money, you know what I'm not asking you for? Guidance. I have that. And I'm never going to lose that, inshallah. That's what he's saying. You know, you might be humbled in many ways. Allah might humble you with your wealth, with your health, with your personal situation. But if Allah has not tested your faith, you are truly in a wealthy situation. Like truly. There are people that have massive amounts of wealth. But because there's an absence of purpose, they don't have what's needed to take care of that void. Right? This is how we learned from our Prophet Muhammad He was offered thrones. He was offered kingdoms. He was offered everything. And he slept on a straw mat to the point where when he woke up, 
he would have indentations on his side. Many of us in here, if not all of us, live a much more luxurious life than the Prophet Muhammad himself. 30, 40 days without cooked meals, bread and oil and salt. Days walking around Medina with his stomach growling. You guys fasted today? You felt that? You guys all hit your 5 p.m. nap? Anybody? All right. I was talking to some people. They were like, listen, you got three minutes to talk to me because it's 4.57. We all know that when I'm fasting, I need sleep. Imagine that's your daily. Imagine that's what you have to live. Okay, so he says that even though you see me as needy, he goes, I see you as the needy one. I'm satisfied with Allah. Like the man I met in Medina that schooled me. I saw him sitting on a cardboard box. I walked up to him and I said that, you know, do you have any, any needs? Can I help you with anything? And he said, where are you from? I said, America. He said, of course. <laughs> and I just, you know, said to him, like, just look, anything you, I'll go get it for you, whatever you need. And he looked at me, he looked at the green dome under which the Prophet Muhammad was buried. And he said, you think I'm poor, you're poor. He goes, I live here. Where do you live? And I'm crying, America, right? <laughs> and he said, exactly. He said, you don't see any of us who live here in need because this is where we want to be, even if it's on a cardboard box. I've never cried harder at a vulgar on a Tuesday <laughs> in my life, okay? Some people just have it. What is that? What is that? What is that? Some people are like, whoa, how could he say that? Because he has clarity. He has clarity. I think because I have a wallet with credit cards that I can help him. He's like, you can't help me. Don't walk up to me thinking you can help me. You're the one that needs help. Don't think that because you can go pick up dinner right now that you're fine. He's like, I get to say salam to my prophet every day. I get to go and walk by and sit in front of his resting place and be with him. And when I die, I'll be buried in the same graveyard as his family and his companions. Don't ask me if I need help. Do you need help? SubhanAllah. Allah gives clarity to some people, man. SubhanAllah. Okay? And then he tells his friend, Here's the, here's the bitter piece. He goes, my brother, it's not a problem that you have a nice garden. That's not sinful. It's not sinful to have a nice garden. It's not sinful to have to work hard and to earn paychecks and to have nice things. That's not sinful. He goes, but you didn't even think to say, that this is what Allah wills. And there is no strength or power but him. You guys remember the beginning of the surah? What was the statement that was forgotten to be said? What did the Prophet forget to say? Inshallah, right? And now we're learning that a person forgot to say what? Masha'Allah. Words matter. Words matter. My mom always used to say this to us. SubhanAllah. We walk in the house. What are you supposed to say when you walk in the house, by the way? Salam. Everyone knows that one because of the jinn. Everyone knows that one, right? Okay? You're supposed to say Bismillah. Salam alaikum. Okay? And I would walk in and be like, my mom's like, say it. I'm like, I said it. She's like, say it. I'm like, I said it in my heart. She's like, that's weird. Say it with your lips, okay? And it's interesting, subhanAllah, because there are studies done. There are actual studies done that talk about the benefit that a person can derive from things like self-talk. People can lower their anxiety. People can diminish their worry. People can take away their nervousness. 
We see it all the time demonstrated even in movies and TV shows. Someone's walking to an interview. What do they do? They look in the mirror and they say, you got this. Right? There's an entire culture now of people doing affirmations every morning. Right? We do have, we have affirmations every morning. You know what they're called? The morning remembrances. The first thing we say when we wake up is what? Thank all praise be to the one who woke me up after he took my life. Right? And my eventual return is to him. That's an affirmation. You're thanking Allah for life. You're not giving credit to yourself. You're saying what? You're affirming that Allah gave you that life back. Right? So he says, when you walk into your garden, when you walk into your house, when you step into your car, when you get dressed, when you feel nice, instead of the first thing that you do is take a picture, take a selfie, you can do that, right? We might have debate about how normal that is, but you can do that, right? You know where you got your foot on the countertop because you need the whole fit in the pic, right? But before you do that, you have to first not look with your eyes, but look with your heart and say, MashaAllah. MashaAllah. MashaAllah is one of the most beautiful phrases. It literally means, this is what Allah wanted. This is only by the will of Allah. This has nothing to do with me. You know why? Because you look beautiful. You look handsome. You look great. But you might get bumped into by a person carrying coffee in 30 seconds. And that ruins now your entire day, your entire fit. The whole wedding that you're sitting at, all you're worrying about is looking up Googling how to get coffee out with a napkin. And it ruined your entire vibe. And you're like, man, you know what saved you from that person carrying coffee? MashaAllah. Right? You realize that Allah Ta'ala is the one who willed that for you. And when you accept that, la quwwata illa billah, there's no strength except through him. When you accept that, then whatever follows is easy to accept. Because you reminded yourself at the beginning that I am riding this wave of destiny that Allah Ta'ala has willed. Okay? He goes, even though you see me inferior with money and with offspring. So we'll stop here, inshallah, because we want to make some dua while we're in a state of fasting on this blessed day of Muharram. Um, so we have a, a couple of announcements that we want to make before we start, inshallah. Um, number one is that water is going to be available to break your fast for whoever's fasting on the way into the masjid for Maghrib, okay? So Maghrib is in about, what, three minutes. So you can get it there, inshallah. Food is going to be served after salah. So we're not going to eat before prayer. We need after, inshallah. Be patient. There's obviously, mashallah, a lot of people here. We're so happy. We're honored and humbled to be able to be feeding everybody. Just be patient because we have as many staff as we can that are helping serve food, inshallah. So just be patient, inshallah. And, uh, you know, you can chat it up with some people while you wait, inshallah, okay? So we're going to make dua. Oh, Allah, we ask you, Allah, to accept from us. Oh, Allah, we ask you to forgive us of our shortcomings and mistakes. Oh, Allah, we ask you that whether or not we are in a state of fasting today, oh, Allah, that you count this day upon us as a blessed day. Oh Allah, we ask you that everyone who is in this gathering or everyone who is watching online or everyone who is listening afterwards, oh Allah, that you help them in their life, that you grant them blessed openings. Oh Allah, that you take away all the difficulties, that you untangle all of the challenges, that you give us the strength to be able to transcend anything that we are putting, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, there are great tragedies that are occurring every day, Ya Allah, whether it be in our brothers and sisters in Gaza, whether it be in our brothers and sisters that are suffering from the drought, in Somalia, Ya Allah, whether it be here in Dallas, Ya Allah, there are great tragedies happening all over the world and the solution, Ya Allah, the comfort and relief is only from you. Oh Allah, we seek it from you. Oh Allah, we ask you to grant us that relief and tranquility. Oh Allah, we ask you to grant our hearts a sense of contentment. Oh Allah, we ask you to give our hearts contentment. 
Oh Allah, we ask you to make us happy with whatever it is that you have given us. And any difficulty that is in our life, oh Allah, we know that you are the only source of help and aid, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Oh Allah, we ask you to make our faith strong. We ask you to keep our iman strong, Ya Allah. Keep us on the straight path, Ya Allah. Allow us on the Day of Judgment to be gathered by the Prophet Allow him to take us by the hand and to give us water from his hawd of kawthar, Ya Allah. Allow us to be with him in Jannah, Ya Allah, with all of our friends and all of our loved ones and everyone that we yearn for to be with, Ya Allah, in this life, Ya Allah. Allow us to be in paradise together, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, many of us came here tonight either with friends or with family. Oh Allah, allow this to be something that brings our homes closer together, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, allow this to be something that brings our community closer together, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Oh Allah, forgive us of our shortcomings, all of our sins, Ya Allah. Those that we know of and those that we don't know of, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, never let our tongues be dry from the remembrance of you. Never let our hearts be dry from the remembrance of you, Ya Allah. Always allow us to be in a state of dhikr, of remembering you, of thanking you, of worshipping you. And oh Allah, every single thing that we see in our lives, Ya Allah, allow us to remember that you are the ultimate source of all good that we have, Ya Allah. Please, Allah, allow us to have this remembrance of all times, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakum wa bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa tuwilaik.